fans and welcome to shut up and wrestle an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories i am your host brian r solomon and this is episode 16 of shut up and wrestle and it's a very special one because here let me tell you why now as we all know by this point right been doing it a while now a few months now um shut up and wrestle is uh, focused on vintage old school pro wrestling, uh, which really, to my imagination, means anything before, say, uh, the past 20 years or so. So and maybe anything before the 21st century, if you want to really keep it neat. So that means a lot of different eras, of course, but it's always a very distinct pleasure of mine on this show when I can um, interview somebody or have a conversation with someone who actually... Uh, partook of that era in the ring, who was one of the athletes and entertainers, performers, wrestlers, whatever you want to call them, that we loved to watch and hear about and read about. And uh, I actually have one of them this week because it was my great pleasure to be able to talk to the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Of course, best remembered, perhaps, I would say, as the legend of Jim Crockett promotions in the 1980s. So that was a fantastic conversation, which I'll get to in a few minutes. And I know you're going to love it. But before we get to it, a few quick matters to attend to. First of all, I'm going to shout it, shout it from the mountaintops that at long last, my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real life story of wrestling's original chic. The first biography of The Sheik is finally fully stocked at Amazon.com in physical form. So you, of course, all through this, the digital copies were available, always available, and uh, print copies started to trickle through. BarnesandNoble.com got them first. But now, finally, uh, they are available through the, whether we love them or hate them, the world's largest online retailer. And uh, you can pick up your copy there now if you want. I also have, uh, I got a new shipment in of my own copies. So I will be selling signed copies of Blood and Fire. I, I have a bunch in stock. If people are interested, of course, you can reach me at my email address, Solomon at yahoo.com. And we can talk and maybe we can make that happen for you. So Uh, I'm excited now that the book is really going to start getting out there more than ever before. Um, Also want to mention a few appearances that I made in the past week in support of the book and talking about the book and just talking about wrestling history that you guys might want to check out. One of them was on the Straight Talk Wrestling Podcast with George McKay. That was a good conversation. 
And I also want to point you in the direction of the Shining Wizards podcast with Matt and Kevin. Had a lot of fun talking with them uh, about the Sheik and um, and about old school wrestling in general. And most recently, I had an appearance on a very cool show called Shooting the Shizat. That's right, Shooting the Shizat, where I got to talk about not just my book and about the Sheik, but I got to go way back in history and talk about George Hackenschmidt. Uh, and the earliest uh, beginnings of a, a major recognized world heavyweight championship in wrestling with George Hackenschmidt and Frank Gotch and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that was, for me, a very interesting show talking about the transformation of professional wrestling in the last 120 years. So that is the Shooting the Shizat podcast. Um, you can find it on Podbean. One last thing I want to mention in the world of publications that the May issue of Inside the Ropes magazine, issue number 20 with Cody Rhodes on the cover. I have it in my hand. It takes a little while to reach me over the ocean because it does come from the United Kingdom. So I'm now holding it in my hand. And inside this issue, an article I'm very proud of, an article that I really um, uh, did a lot of work on and, and, and was very uh, um, honored even to be able to put together. And it's a, a career and life retrospective of Scott Hall. Uh, so I hope that you will pick up that issue and give it a look. Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can get online at insidetheropesmagazine.com. Okay, enough of all that now. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to one of the true legends of 1980s wrestling. Let's get to my conversation with the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. Now, uh, a quick note before we get to it. Uh, the As you know, I, I have uh, exacting audio standards on this show, and I hope that you guys appreciate that. I will say uh, that this particular conversation was conducted on a cell phone, and so uh, the audio may be a little bit fuzzy and a little bit rough at times, a little rough around the edges, but I assure you that if you stick with it and if you listen, um, that Manny is fantastic and he has a lot of very insightful things to say and great memories, you know, about that whole era working in Florida, in Texas, in the Carolinas and everywhere. It's all in there. Rick Rude, Dusty Rhodes, Jack Briscoe, Terry Funk, the whole bunch. So, so uh, be a little bit patient with the audio quality and um, I hope that you will enjoy the interview which I will take you to right now. Okay, so it's my distinct pleasure today on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome a true legend of professional wrestling. And this is somebody that um, really fits in with the theme of Shut Up and Wrestle because, you know, we like to focus on old school wrestling here. And this is somebody who was a part of wrestling in the heyday of the territories back in the day and, and worked in so many different places. I'll just mention a few, otherwise I'll be here all day um, in championship wrestling from Florida um, in all Japan, new Japan, Puerto Rico, St. Louis, central States. You mentioned it. Uh, Florida heavyweight champion was the NWA world tag team champions with dusty Rhodes and Rick rude. And is probably best known, I would say, from the three years that he spent uh, with Jim Crockett Promotions and uh, in the heyday of that company, too. And I am talking about none other than a man who personifies toughness in pro wrestling. He is the raging bull, 
Manny Fernandez. How you doing, Brian? I okay today. I am more than okay because I have you here today, and this is just such a pleasure for me. God, this is great. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for keeping it old school. That's what I believe in. That was my bloodline from where I started, you know, from West Texas State University to to the ring to Amarillo Territory, and which led to Florida. Right. But, uh, bloodlines from uh, West Texas come pretty strong in my in me yeah and you know you mentioned the florida thing too because i, I want to mention something before we before we get into anything else i want to there's something i wanted to to mention because i know you know you, you're modest about it so i'm going to be the one to say but you know recently in pro wrestling illustrated we gave terry funk the lifetime achievement award and you know, it's it's hard to get to Terry these days, you know, and we wanted to get that plaque to him to get that award to him. And it was you, Manny, you were the one that brought the award to him. And we have a nice picture that's running in the magazine of the two of you guys together. So, I mean, I can't thank you enough for for bringing that award to Terry. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for considering for that because you've all deserved, you know, and I would do anything for him. I owe him everything I am for us. I'm, I could stand up and say that, which a lot of people don't have the courage to, you know, Terry Funk made me in Florida when uh, I beat him for that uh, Florida heavyweight title in, in Orlando. Terry Funk made me and kept, every time we wrestled, it, it was all about me thanking him for everything he's done, you know? And uh, it was great to see him smile and it was great to take that award to him and spend time with him which I do. I go and spend time with him every chance I get. But I really put a smile on his face and he's happy that people still remember and still consider him one of the best ever. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I did speak to him uh, since then because I wanted to, you know, just kind of thank him personally on the phone. And he was still so happy for, for getting that that award. And like you said, just that that people remember. And I had to tell him, I mean, not only do people remember, but I mean, there's a lot of people out there that would say that Terry Funk was the greatest of all time. I do. I definitely know that he's the greatest of all time because he was uh, one of the best wrestlers who could adapt to anybody. You know, when, you know, when I started this business, it was Dick Murdoch and Mike Tag Mulligan and Terry and, and, and Amarillo when I was still playing football for West Texas State that got me involved and would take me to the shows. And so, you know, I wasn't big on wrestling. I'm a true wrestling wrestler, uh, high school, junior college, some college, you know, and that's what I believed in wrestling. I wasn't hyped up on pro wrestling. I had no, no, uh, you know, a desire to be a professional wrestler. I had a desire to play football. I was my big dream to play in the NFL for years and years in and years out, but, Back in the day, you know, you had to be a monster to play in the NFL. I was only six foot, six foot tall and 260 pounds. So, you know, for playing a couple of years, I did on the taxi squad. That was probably <laughs> as far as I could get. And pro wrestling came into my life because of Terry and Murdoch and Mulligan and guys like Dennis, old timers. Right. Old timers that I love and respect to this day. And you, you know, you, you, uh, like you were saying, Terry helped get you started. And, 
you know, you're wrestling in, in the Amarillo area where his, where his family have been running wrestling for so long. And, but you, um, it wasn't long for you and you really kind of got uh, off to a hot start because you started professionally like kind of at the beginning of 79. Right. And then by the end of the year, you already had that Florida belt. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I started when I was getting beat up in the ring by Murdoch. And <laughs> everybody, every time I met, <laughs> See, it came natural. One of the greatest compliments I ever got and I, I mean, when I finished my autobiography, when I get the right person to finish it, uh, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was, well, from one of the greatest wrestlers, too, was uh, Jack Briscoe. Mm. He asked Jack Briscoe what he thought about me, and he said, one word, one word about Manny Fernandez, natural. That's all he had to say, natural. And But, you know. Yeah, coming from him especially, I mean, that is a huge compliment for, of all people to say it, you know? Oh, well, you know, yeah, of all people. But, you know, it seems the natural part came because I got, <laughs> when I was in training, I would do for around sometimes and just shoot on people and then they would beat me up. I used to love training because I knew sooner or later I was going to do something goofy and get beat up. You know, that was part of it. That's what made me love for us is. I went to thinking I had a bunch of crap. Man, man, this is pretty tough. Now, these guys ain't no joke. They're tough. <laughs> Every time I go around, I get beat up. <laughs> I better concentrate on what they're teaching me. Right. You know, and it came pretty natural to me. You know? Within two and a half months, I was already doing what people in the business back then would took years, years to accomplish to get to that position. That's why uh, when I went to Florida, Eddie Graham and Dustin, I realized I was kid. Well, Terry told me, trust me, this kid's got what it takes. You know, I wish Terry, and Terry pulled me over. But, you know, I earned my dues. I paid my dues hardly. And that's why I respected. So I respected and defended the business so much because of these guys educating me and passing that bloodline of believing in Dustin. You know, when you walk into a room with a bunch of strangers, they're going to respect you because they say, oh, that's a poor wrestler. You know, nowadays, you you walk in a room with us and entertainer, ain't nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so different now. But, but you know, l- like you said, I think for a lot of fans who, who, who loved you and watched you wrestle, and like myself, I mean, the, the thing that – you said that Jack Briscoe said one word natural, but for a lot of people, I think the word would be tough. You know, like you look, you, you came from a time when, when wrestlers were tough as hell and you were like, you had to be, uh, I mean, Manny Fernandez was on the list, top of the list for just the toughest guys in the business, at least as far as the fans were concerned. Yeah, that's what I tell people. I was tough because of the people that, that got me in the business, maybe that way. Because every time I goofed up, I got beat up. Right. You know, and, 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 you know, and I saw the pride. You know, when I was playing football, I'd go around, drive them around at Jericho, Odessa, when I was in the Amarillo uh, area. You know, I, I'd drive the boys, pick them up to the airport, drive them to Lubbock driving to Odessa or wherever they had to wrestle. And I learned a lot from them, you know, and I watched them. And I learned to respect the business because it would make me watch every single match. You know, 
I played football West State State one interested, but once he did that and I watched every single match, I was like, Wow, man, that's pretty cool. That, that takes a lot of training and a lot of guts. So I was respected for that. They got I got the ground level education, you know, and those guys kept me tough, so you you had to be tough back then. Right. You had to be tough, you know. They bother, you know, when I would get cocky and when the new fans would come in and I'd get in there and he'd tie me up. He's 76 years old. He tied me up in a knot. <laughs> you know, he just tied me like like I was nothing. Right. You know, not sweet on And I had to wrestle Jack and Jerry Bristol. We know they were NCAA national champions. And I'd get in there and Jack Bristol was like silk. He was so smooth. Everything I would try, I would end up in my back. God dang it. It was like a ghost, dressing a ghost. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know at that time they were building me up to make sure that there's always a person they had back in the day, like when Ed Stryker, Lewis, and Lucas, Carl Gotts, and all them got right up. All them stretchers and shooters would represent the business and you just, you know, said something stupid like, yeah, I know it's fake. Yeah, okay, well, here you go, get in the ring with this guy and find out when they break every bone in your body. But he always wanted to a tough guy that, like, especially at a gram, when people would come in in Florida and say, hey, I think I could be a wrestler. You know, I'd be all night drinking drunk all over, and I'd get a call from Eddie or, or, or Dusty. Say, there's some guy down here at the damn Tampa Bay Center where we did TV there, and uh, it, he says, you need, you need to come down and show him a, how... He wants to try it out to be a wrestler, so I'd go down there, be mad as heck, hung over from hell, and get in the ring with his people and just hurt him. So they didn't have the yeah, well, you know. that that went on a lot back then, you know. I mean, like I know that uh, I've read about how down there too in Florida, Bob Roop would do that a lot for Eddie Graham. He would be the guy that yeah, yeah. they'd throw these poor yeah. guys in there, and, and they wouldn't know what hit them. And the next thing you know, they're going, you know what? Maybe I don't want to be a wrestler so much anymore. Yeah. They used to do that too in the Carolinas with uh, Gene Anderson and Ole Anderson. But what I didn't like about them, see, what I learned from those guys, they just got the guys one end, got the guys in the ring, and just showed them. Especially Lutez. I love Lutez. Oh my God. He showed me so much stuff, so many hook moves and stuff. He showed me Hill Matsuda too. They all showed me how to hook people and hurt them, make their bones crack if they wanted to. But in, in Carolinas, what I didn't like when I went one time, and a guy that came out of there and it ended up being a big star was uh, Magnum T.A., but mm. they would get guys in the ring and make them exercise for an hour to get them all tired out and then jump on them. And I didn't like that. Uh. I didn't like that at all. I was really mad about that. And Terry Allen went to one of those tryouts like that in the Independence Coliseum in Charlotte, and he saw what they were doing. He just left. And they called him a coward. He left. Uh, you know, I don't know. He's a coward, but he was pretty smart. Smart, you know? yeah. How you gonna how, how you gonna prove you're tough if you got the people so tired that you can't stand up, and then you go in there and grab them? Right. Just, yeah. I well. Out. I said, this is stupid. Right, because then it's not so much about trying to weed people out as it is just trying to abuse people. I mean, there's a difference. You're yeah. you're trying to find the guys that could actually take it and maybe really break into the business you're not trying to just you know sadistically hurt people for no re for no reason you know 
Yeah. That's yeah, different. Yeah, like, he had them do bleachers, running up and down the plates of stairs with bleachers and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this, this ain't cool. No. But that's my opinion, you know. You know, whatever they decide. I had no saying. I just told Dustin, no, I won't do it. I'm not excited about doing that here. Now, when you were working, when you were first starting and you were working with Terry and he got you started, especially in West Texas, that was sort of around the time that, you know, because his family was promoting in West Texas for many, many years. But that, that was right around the time when they were they were uh, stopping that. Right. I mean, they didn't really have it very they long. Sold. Yeah. No, they sold, they sold it to Murdoch and Mulligan. Right. It's called M&M Promotion, Murdoch and Mulligan. And uh, we kept it going. We kept it going. You know, we had, uh, you know, I was green as, green as a green apple. And so was Stan Lane. He came in. Well, we had Tito Santana in there for least. And then we had a good crew. We had a good crew. It just uh, the territory was kind of dying off. It was dying off, but they were trying to pick it back up. But I think those, to me, was valuable lessons. I learned I wrestled with Mulligan on TV and introduced me to the business by knocking the wind out of me with a big forearm. And he said, welcome to the business, kid. Bam! <laughs> He had me with that big, massive forearm and knocked the best out of me for five minutes. So you got that education. <laughs> they kept me guys, you know, there was Stan Lane, me. He came out of there. Of course, we said Solis came out of there. And every now and then, Ted DiBiase came in there. But he'd already been wrestling. So like we said, but they created a good group of uh, people, you know, and we used to drive around and afford a car back in the day. And in one car, you had... Me and Merced and, and Stan Lane and Ted DiBiase, which later on became names, you know. Yeah. So we were lucky enough to tell them of the Amarillo territory that we still had great veterans to take green kids under their wing and educate them and teach them the right way. Take them by the hand, teach them the right way. And, and you don't have that no more. You don't have good veterans. I had Dennis Stamp and Alex Perez Larry Lane. All those guys who were big names in the Amarillo territory with Dory Fox Sr. were there to carry these young Gagbean guys like me and Stan Tito and all that and uh, educate us. And we got a great education when we were there for that short moment of time before the territory shut down. And, and that is something I'll always honor because they educated me to be a, become a great wrestler not just a wrestler, and respect and fight for the business. And that's what I've done all my life. You know, I can't stand people saying stupid things about our business. But that came from those old-timers back then that I had the honor to be with that these guys don't have anymore. It's all about me, 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 right. me. Yeah, and, you know, it's like the same thing to the – you know, I don't like to talk on here too much about the modern wrestling, but it's like when a lot of people will say that they see a lot of wrestlers on TV and they think, well, I could probably beat that guy up myself, you know, and, and let me tell you something. Nobody ever thought that when they saw you on their TV. I, I guarantee you that because uh, fans were afraid of you. Yeah, and I, when I started, I thought, <laughs> I saw the size of Black Jack Mulligan and I was like, Hot dang. Especially blackjack, six foot ten, three hundred and fifty pounds of muscle. I was like, oh <laughs> <laughs> ain't gonna mess with that guy. <laughs> he used to call me Chongo. Come here, Chongo. I said, Yes, sir. <laughs> 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 you 
now now when you when you yeah it's a little different now right they're 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 uh they're not as intimidating not not everybody there's still some guys that are intimidating but but a lot of the wrestlers are not quite as intimidating as they used to be no but um so when you when you were in florida and that's kind of when you really started getting noticed right i mean that's like the heyday of dusty Rhodes at that time so what was it like being being around him and he's kind of like the hottest thing in the business at that time oh yeah he was and you know and uh no well you know the funny part about that when they said when murdoch and mulligan sent me to florida i didn't know you know Territory wise, I wasn't educated, but they said we're sending you to Florida. Here's your starting date. Get there. And I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to get there? He said, that's not our problem. You're in the business now. Get there. So I get to the business of Florida, and you know Charlie Lay, old school Charlie Lay, that wrestled back in the 30s and 40s. He was at the front of the office. And I get there and uh, I tell him, check in with him, say. Uh, my name's Ian Fernandez. I'm told store here and report to the office. I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Go through the curtains there, the wall there. Go ahead and put your gear on. I'm going like, "What? What do you mean put my gear on?" I said, "Okay." I want to put my gear on, and I never met anybody in Florida. This first territory, and I go in there, and he says, "I'll go on through there," and I go through the curtain, and there's a ring, and there's a guy sitting there, and that, that guy happened to be Gordon Soley. And Gordon Soli says, oh, my name is Gordon Soli. I said, well, Manny Fernandez. He goes, yeah, we've been expecting And I said, okay. And he says, go ahead, jump in the ring. They'll, they'll, they'll be down a minute. And the office was above the ring when we did TV taping. And then the door opened and here came Eddie Graham. See, I didn't know that name, Steve. I didn't even know that Dusty Rhodes was. Eddie Graham and Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Bristol. And then Jack Bristol. And they come down and Jack and Jerry are dressed like in their sweats and stuff like that. They come down there and introduce themselves and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know that Murdoch and Mulligan played a rib on me telling these guys how great of an amateur wrestler I was. And here comes two national champions, oh Jack and Jerry Briscoe. And I'm in the ring there and I'm going like, uh-oh, something's up here. Something's up here. Oh, God. <laughs> so, my first education for the territory is getting stretched by Jack and Jerry Bristol, even though I fought back, especially against Jack because he was so good. Right. And Jerry. And I got all I got all happy when I took Jerry Bristol down, I took him down and I got all happy. And then they turn around and look and goes, Yep, they're right. He's all right, he's tough. <laughs> I'm like, tough, my butt actually got my butt. Wow, that what a <laughs> day one. Yeah, what is it? that was my introduction to Dusty Rhodes and Eddie Graham and two of the great greatest friends I have, Jackie Jerry Briscoe brothers. I they took good care of me when I was a rookie in Florida. They tortured me and rid me, beat me on the side of the road all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I knew they were gonna do it. And I just went along with it just to make it happen. <laughs> I didn't want to give you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I met him, and, and Dusty was in his list. He's in money, baby. He's in money. That's it. What do you mean he's in money? I can see it. I can see it. You're in money. <laughs> 
So did he? And did he help you? Because later on, you know, as everybody knows, you spent a lot of time in the Carolinas later. And it was at the time that Dusty was booking there and he had a lot of power there. So did did he did he help? So he helped you get in there then. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I was doing great once I left Florida when uh, he got burned out before I was going downhill. It was, you know, actually, uh, me and Dusty had one of those great, greatest love-hate relationships because I, when I started this business, I put it on the table. I told Mulligan Murdoch and Gloria Curious, I know what your business is. I know what it is, so I'm not hyped up about doing this as long as I make money, support myself, but and if I ever have a family, he says, I know what your business is, so I'm not being hyped up, you know. It was an honor, the greatest honor in my career to be, be caring for Florida, having me But after that, it wasn't important anymore. I just, I didn't care that much that people had the glory and the eagles that wanted to be champion all the time. I was one of those guys. I was the guy that paid me and I'll do my job. Guy, you know, and, and now, I was a little rebel. I, you know, like I said, I had a love-hate relationship with Dusty. Because I could see his ego. It was all about him, all about him. And eventually it would catch him to the territory and burn it out. Right. But, you know, I learned a lot from him, and I learned a lot from everybody. And then I finally said, you know, it's time. While Ruby Daniels came into my life in, in Miami, Florida, and he saw what I was, you know, how he wrestled, watched me wrestle. And he was booking the San Antonio territory. And I always knew while we went down there, I heard of him, never met him. But I knew he was tough as nails. I knew that. No, another football player, too. Oh, yeah. He's another great football player. Still holds records in Oklahoma. You know, he's, you know, first Native American, tough, badass. You know, and I already knew that from the stories I heard. So it was an honor to meet him. And he was booking for Joe Blanchard in San Antonio, Southwest. He asked me if I wanted to, you know, I need a good, strong Hispanic person in San Antonio, Texas, and you would be a great fit because you fight back and, you know, you're tough and people could see that and the Hispanic people love that. So we had a conversation there and, you know, I seen your territory going bad and I went and gave my notice went to Oahu, I'd come up to San Antonio. And Dory, yeah, Dusty was leaving anyway. Dusty was gone anyway because, you know, Eddie had had enough. And Dory <laughs> Funk was taking over the book. Dory Funk Jr. was taking over the book. And uh, so I told Dory, uh, I'm going to be leaving here and do what you got to do in the next two weeks. So I always gave my notice. I was never, ever released by anybody. I always gave my notice everywhere. And I went to San Antonio and had a great, great run with Wild. We had great fights in the bars together. <laughs> that I remember. <laughs> of course. But that's where I met some good people. I mean, I went to San Antonio, Wahoo, and Tolly was there, and Gino Hernandez, my mentor and, uh, and my coach in high school. I won a freestyle national wrestling title for Chavo Guerrero, who was my coach in high school. He was there. And so I had a great crew, and I really enjoyed myself there with Wahoo. And David Schrader came in and took the book over, and I had a good run with him. So, you know, I, I stayed with guys that were tough because I wanted to 
represent the business that way. I wanted to, you know, walk in a room and people say, well, she's a pro wrestler, you know. Yeah, and it's... And it's good, like you said, to 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 kind of keep your head on your shoulders. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of guys yeah. that would get, like you said, like starstruck and 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 would get caught up in the glory. And I think sometimes they might get taken advantage of because promoters would know that they would, you know, they were willing to do more for less because they were so starstruck. And so I think it's helpful when you actually have your head on straight and you you understand that it's a business. Yeah, uh, you know, I had that all the time in my mind. But, you know, people, the thing is, you know, it, the, since my luck, uh, every territory I was in, I became champion against my wishes. You know, I, you know, just, you know, let me, if you want me to be the main event, I'll be, I'll bust my butt and do everything to draw houses. Because, you know, back in the day, people got paid by what you do. If you were a main event guy and you couldn't draw a dime, that means the poor guy in the first, second, third match were starving. They yeah. were literally starving, especially their families. You had to draw money. You know, nowadays, you know, it's all marketing and business, and, and it doesn't matter if you can draw or not, which a lot of people that I've seen probably couldn't draw a dime. But in this era, you know, the big stars. But if you couldn't draw, you were, you you know, the poor guys underneath you were starving. Their families were starving. That's not... That's something, you know, that you take pride in, you know, knowing that you can carry the, the, the talent on that card or the talent in that territory and everybody make a good living. And that's what we did in San Antonio. Bill Bryson was one of the greatest payoff maps ever. And that was always in my mind, you know, oh, man, if they're going to put you here in this spot, you better do good and go. That made me work really hard to make sure my guys underneath who I loved and, and, and always cherished every one of my guys underneath made money. And they were able to, you know, have ample money to support the family and have other way money for when they leave the territory. And did you find, like you were saying, with when Joe Blanchard wanted to kind of bring you in to have a Hispanic draw, did you find that, you know, in your career, even there and maybe other places too, that, the Hispanic fans kind of felt a connection to you more than other fans? Yes. Definitely in San Antonio. Definitely in San Antonio, because I, you know, you know, one of the greatest things about my career, and even when the show in Florida, that Eddie Graham and Dusty Rhodes fed me the greatest heels in the business. Some of the greatest heels in the business. Guys that carried, remember, like you said, I was still green. I still followed I listen to every word of these guys, Don Morocco and Harley Race, Puzzle McGraw, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. You know, I had, me and Harley had uh, 10 world title defenses in Florida. Uh, our Broadway's, two 90-minute Broadway's. And Harley Race just carried me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And every single time I wrestled him, it was a different match and a different thing he brought me to do. Whatever he told me to do, I would try it because it was coming from Harley Race. Like the time in St. Petersburg, he told me, you think you can hang yourself, kid? I said, I don't know. Uh, how do you do it? He told me, stick your head in the toes between the top and take the rope and just kick his feet over at And he said, see if you can do it. So he shoots me up, he dropped down, the top one, and I did it. <laughs> and he just started, you can hear him go, that stupid kid, huh? 
you know, <laughs> that's great. You know, I, I heard that about him where it would be a different match every time. It was never the same match. Oh, never, never. And I had him. And when I didn't have him, I had Terry. Of course, me and Terry had, were married after I beat him. We get around the territory, you know, the loop. We yeah. called him to loop. So every, Terry was, every night it was different because he was so crazy. We right. were in the ring, out of the ring, out in front of the building, backdropping their U-Haul pickup, <laughs> uh, trailer, I mean. I mean, Terry was all over the place. And I used to, as a total big kid, and I'd go, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> I would. I said, oh, my God, here we go. That's, that's <laughs> great. we go all over the building. And then I'd have to wrestle his brother, Dory. You know how Dory wrestles? All yeah. scientific, yeah. all slow, all everything. So it was night and day. So every time I had to defend that title, I had to defend it against Don Morocco. was fantastic. I've never seen a heel like Don Morocco. They go get up there every night with me, get beat, I barely beat him like he slips on a banana pill and have more heat than anybody in the territory. Still yeah. Have more heat than he was amazing, Don Morocco. And, and you. I got, you know, group. go ahead. No, I was going to say you dropped the Florida title to him, right? I think you did. Don, yeah, yeah, the Don. Yeah. Yeah, when we did because early lad, Kansas City versus Kansas City. <laughs> he was a chief and I was a chief in the NFL. So, you know, it was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of cool. But uh, they had great guys. The way we did things back then was amazing to me. Well, so, you know I don't know what Well, I was gonna I was gonna give you credit because like you were saying, you you came in not really knowing the business or you didn't have that background and you had to have this baptism of fire. And I think, you know, right. just for me as a fan watching you, like by the time you were in Crockett and, you know, in, in mid Atlantic there, I mean, you were, I saw you bringing things out of guys like, like that I would never think would have a really great match. Like I'll give you an example and this is nothing against him, but like Abdullah, the butcher, you know, and, and you, you wrestled yeah. him at Starcade uh, 85, I think it was, or right? Or 80, yeah, 85. And I have to say, I think that's probably the best match I ever saw him in, honestly. You know, I wrestled Abby so much. I, and, and I never knew that he was kind of just, well, it all came down to, you know, they were doing simulcast, and Dusty had this, Dusty had that, and Abby thought we were going to be over here. And I'm the kind of guy like this, hey, if you want to put me on first, put me on first. But you got to follow me. Remember that. You got to follow me. Right. I'm going to go on first and I'm going to bust the house wide open. So you still got to follow that. And, and, you know, that's what I tried to tell Abby. Abby wanted to be the main event in the, in, in the Omni. And uh, I said, Gee, I just want to get out of here. Go to the bar and get some food and beer. Just <laughs> don't worry about it, Abby. But Abby was over. And for the first time ever, he did things that I didn't know he could do. But I didn't know he, he was sandbagging, in other words. Right. When he told me to suplex him, I was laughing at him. I was on one knee and said, shut up. He <laughs> back there and said, shut up. And he said, I said, I couldn't believe he went vertical. Yeah. And when, I, when he went vertical, I hit the ground. I turned over and I looked at him and I said, you sandbagging SOB. You did nothing but that. You could do all this all the time. I said, you're a lousy sandbagging SOB. Right. You know, I, it's familiar to me because I, uh, I just published my book about the Sheik, about the original Sheik, you know, 
who was right. who was really close with Abdullah and they worked a lot together and they had a lot of the same style. And people would say that about him, too. Like he knew how to do it all, but he just chose not to do it. You know, he just didn't want to do it. But but every now and then you would he would pull it out, you know. Yeah, a little spark in his butt. He'll get a little spark up his butt. He did it, and then, you know, and then he called the monkeys for that. But I said, monkey, so he's gonna land them off the. So he took the monkey bit. I was like, how oh, do you? You're really pissing me. <laughs> I got so mad one time. I took my boot off. And I hit him with a heel of the boot. And I mean, I hit him. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's what you get for lying. Right. <laughs> But I mean, that was the and at the Omni, that was the year that they had, you know, the Starcade in two different locations, right, where they're simulcasting yeah, it. And and yeah. you guys opened. right. So they had right. They had part of the show in Greensboro Coliseum and part in Atlanta Omni. And you and Abdullah, you opened up the Omni show. Right. Right. And but I mean, for Abdullah to think, oh, I, I was thinking they were going to put us on last. I mean, they had rick flair and dusty Rhodes to go on did, did he really think that you guys were going to go on after rick flair and dusty Rhodes for the title yeah we probably would have done them anyway i mean i didn't care he did but you know uh, the way abby was working we probably would have done them anyway Just, you know that's what i mean those are the kind of things that drove dusty nuts mm. dusty you know everywhere dusty went he would bring me in because he knew that i could get people off the butt if I had to open the show for him, I'd get the crowd going. He knew they had people say something about wrestling, and they could bring me in, and I'd get them in the rain. Or, you know, Dusty was like, like I said, we loved to hate each other. You know, he's the one. When I was in Blackjack Mulligan was one of my my mentors, one of my blood my bloodline, right? So we're I was doing great in San Antonio. Bill Blinder treated me great. We drew great money. We got great payoffs. I had a great crew. I mean, you know, I, I loved the crew I was with there. And, and, I, and then Dickie Slater, and I had great matches. He was great, Dickie Slater, but Dickie Slater tried to be Terry Funk. So I kept wrestling Terry Funk wannabe. And, but he was mm. great at it. He, you know, he was great at it. But when we did the big main event show in the stadium with the Road Warriors and everything, it was a big bow show in the summer. Uh, you know, like I heard uh, the referee, uh, Juan Reynosa, come over to me in the locker room and said, you need to go out back. Black Jack Mulligan wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing that came to my mind was, what did I do wrong? Of course, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? What did he hear? What did I do? And I get things out of my head. And Black Jack goes, <laughs> I went around back. Cautiously, right? <laughs> and I go, yes, sir. He goes, give you notice. You're getting out of here. You're going to Atlanta. I mean, you're going to Charlotte. You're going to go make the biggest money you ever made in your life. I said, yes, sir. He goes, tell Joe you're done. Give you two week notice. Drop that belt. Do it professionally. I said, yes, sir. I will. And uh, I didn't know that Dusty took the book over in the Carolinas. Right. And the first thing he told Mulligan was get Manny down here. So Black Jack was on the show there in uh, San Antonio and told me to give my notice. And Joe Bradford was none too happy when I did that. I bet. And I said, well, what's his deal? Lose your big town. And I had Killer Tim Brooks, who was a great guy. He was wow. a great deal. I yes. loved him. Great guy. He was a great worker. Yeah. 
yeah. I had him in the final. We did the Fusion Tom Razor cage match and all that good crap. <laughs> well, that was another thing. Another thing I got to say yeah. that, that that fans always knew about you, speaking of the razors and the cage and all that, is you were not afraid to get a little bloody. Let me tell you. I, I mean, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if there was ever a match where you didn't get bloody. That's true. <laughs> That's true, King. I used to have fun with my heels. I used to have really a lot of fun with my heels. You know, I was a changing of my, of my life, too, which... That's when Dusty really got on my nerves in the Carolina. Yeah. You know, because Dusty, would, you know, he was trying to build a crew. Every new booker, you know, when they take over, they bring in their crew. Sure. You know, he brought me in. He brought back to me. He brought people that uh, he knew could draw money, that he could serve, you know, get around him. You know, guys, baby faces that people will believe in, and uh, he could draw houses with so he could surround himself with talent that he could draw people. That's what he did. But, uh, and but he also he made you his he made you his tag team partner too when he was down there. You guys were were champs together, right? Yeah, because you see, I can't be one of those down nose guys that runs around. He told me one time, I you know Denny Brown, Hector Guerrero, Mike Davis. Those are the guys that hung around with because they were underneath guys. They were normal. I didn't have to listen to the crap. I didn't want to be an office guy. That was just not me. I, you know, from day one, I told Terry Funk, okay, I'll do this. I'll do this. But this is what I feel. And I will defend the business of anybody. And I have. You know, I've been shot twice. That big time, defending the professional wrestling business. And there was a big article in tech when I got stabbed eight times, you know. I was defending the business, and I always will to this day. But, you know, it's just, it wasn't the thing that I needed to hang around, drive around with Dusty and his Mercedes and his Rolls Royce. It just it wasn't me. I grew up a poor kid in El Paso, Texas, and I made it my way, earned my bones by struggling, fighting, and digging for everything I could in my life, especially when it came to football. You know, I, I would probably would have been a... a in prison, you know, if I went to final football and wrestling as an amateur. Yeah. But, you know, that that was me. I, I loved and enjoyed writing and being with the underneath guys. It was fun to me. But Dusty had a rule. If you are a top boy, you need to hang out with the top boy. Hang out with crap. That wasn't going to happen. And so, did, is <laughs> that... Is... what he did. That was is that what made you, I mean, because you left there in 87, so is were you just getting sick of him, or was there another reason why? I was getting sick of him, <laughs> sick of the politics, sick of the, the brown nosing, and, and, and I was really pissed how they treated Rude mm. when I started signing contracts. I got a bigger contract than he did, and I go, well, he's my partner. And, you know, me and Rude were, honestly, to tell you the truth, me and Rude were getting over more than uh, Dusty and his apron. We had this big uh, roster in the Carolinas that we could have A team and B team. Because we had the B team with Rock and Roll Express. And we outdrew the A team everywhere they went. They put us on the little spot shows, but we draw 20,000, 30,000 people against Rock and Roll Express. So we don't even be laughing. So we didn't have to deal with just being there. <laughs> we were all alone doing our own stuff, you know? And it's just. It just became to the point where they did him dirty, and Rudy said, "Well, I got an offer from WWE. 
at the time, mm-hmm. or was it WWE, whatever it was. Uh, and I said, no, I've never worked for Vince McMahon. I don't like the man. I don't like what he does to people. I said, but you, hey, this is your living. Go on, you know, what you do for a living and for your family. You do the best thing ever. I can't stop you. Go ahead, bro. And, you know, and we did that. And, and Dusty found out about it, asked about the belt. And I said, I don't know. I ain't got him. I don't know who's at him. You know, it was the, I don't know, I got him. No, I don't got him. That's kind of, that's, that started it right there because of that. And, you know, he said, well, we can make new belts because that's the way it's going to be. I said, well, I guess you have to make new belts. Yeah, they did. They did make new belts. Yeah, they did. And they, they, you know, they tried to do some stupid, dumb thing with the rock and roll beat us on the non-title deal. They had a big deal. But, you know, it didn't matter to me. It's like, I told you know, you, <laughs> Jim Carter one time, he asked me, what are you waiting around? I said, National Anthem, well, I'm coming out first. I'm coming out to real music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned Rude. Oh, I'm sorry, go on, go on. No, no, you're fine. That's not- no, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned how Rude got that deal and he and he went to the WWF. You know, I always wanted to ask you because this was the period where – like I know you said that you never cared for Vince McMahon. This was the period where they were taking everybody. They were like spreading out and they were picking all these people from all different territories was there. But, you know, you were one of the notable people. You were you know, a big star in that era and you never went there. Was there, did they ever approach you? Was there anything like that? Yeah. I, you know, I saw what he done. I saw what he done to Terry Taylor, who mm. I introduced him to the business and mentored him when he was in Florida and, would come and try to carry my bag in, in the dressing room. I told him, are you crazy? I'm a rookie here. You do something like that, I'd get killed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, that's how I met Terry. And he made him the red rooster, and I just didn't appreciate You know, and I told him one time, I said, yeah, my mom is a man, not an idiot. And I believe in that, you know. Yeah. So it was just, I couldn't, you know. I didn't, I have no desire to go to New York. None, none whatsoever. Yeah, because uh, they might have ruined you. You know, they might have turned you into a goofball or something, you know, given you yeah, some they horrible. Yeah, they wanted to put horns on my head. Right. I could bite them, you know. Well, like a bull and I said I wouldn't do that. Did they really say that to you? Yeah. They had that idea like a Viking, but like coming out with a bull. It's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's stupid. Yeah. But, you know, the thing about me, I learned how to get over everywhere I went. And when I started, when I was WCW, I started contact. I met Bob, Giant Bob on one of my vacations in Hawaii. And I talked to Giant Bob and he said, I would love for you to come to Japan. I said, sure, anything. No problem with me. You know, and so we got a deal. And when Dusty was not too happy. (laughs) So I got in with Japan and I got, you know, by the time all this was hitting, and the Carolinas was dying off again because of Dusty. You know, all Dusty, Dusty. You want to stampede, you want everything. You know, everything about that. Sooner or later, everything he burned down. That's what I believe. That's what I believe everything. Crockett lost everything because sooner or later, people just get tired of one person being Superman. You know. So, yeah, and that, then. That was my problem. Go ahead, buddy. Well, I was going to say that then even he wound up going to Vince himself, 
right not long after that dusty yeah and what did what did vince do to him right made him look like a joke with the polka dots and everything which i knew was gonna happen i knew something was gonna happen when he went to vince became the polka dot guy yeah uh, i never saw wrestling as a as a real part of my life okay i tell people wrestling was my living not my life far from being my life my life, I, I was a different person. I didn't hang around wrestling people. Not at all. Even when I loved recruiting, I did. We were close. We didn't hang around, go to each other's houses or anything. I didn't go. I actually lived 80 miles away from everybody. Didn't want to be around wrestling. When my life was on, I had normal life with normal citizens, normal civilians and stuff. And I would do my my VFW, my American Legion stuff, and I was being a veteran. That's what I was proud of. You know, serving my country was one of the biggest, and still to this day. You know, right now I'm training two combat vets that want to be for us. And they looked me up and called me and asked me, and I said, I'd do anything for a veteran. Of course I would, you know. And sure. I'm training two combat vets right now, showing them the road. So I tell them the same thing. It's not, don't make it your life. Make it your living, not your life. Have a life. I'll set a wrestling. You gotta have a life. Well, and that's that you know, but Dusty a lot. Because Dusty always wanted everybody up his butt. He wanted to make sure everybody that he was using was up his butt so he could control you. That wasn't about being controlled. Yeah, well there were a lot of guys that didn't that couldn't make that decision, like what you said, where you, you gotta keep it in perspective. That's a great perspective to have where, where the business isn't your whole life. You know, you, 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 yeah. there's other things that interest you. And, and also that helps too, when you're not in it anymore, you know, there's some guys that lose their way when wrestling's not there be anymore, because that's all they were about was wrestling. And then, so when the show's over, well, there's, there's nothing going on. Yeah. It is your mind. Me, I got things going on with veterans, you know, I, the VA, I know the VA get my treatment. I find out about veteran organization. And then, you know, lately, I'll tell you the truth, Brian. Lately, uh, somebody invited me. I've been invited to a lot of these wrestling trips. You know, one person invited me and said they were going to honor me with a, a Lifetime Achievement Award like 30. I said, why? I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, come to our show. We'd like to honor you. So they, and they gave this little plaque that has a raging bull on it, a real bull with horns on it. And I said, okay, whatever, I'll go. But I almost told them to keep the award because I went and all I thought I was watching was a, a B-rated or C-rated, really low kung uh, fu movie. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, you know, ugly, stupid kung fu show that <laughs> you know, like they used to make with their mouth pretty good. Yeah. And every single match, they did the same spot with the kick in the head, high the rope, he kicks in the head, guy on Every dang old match, I said, my God, is this a comfy fighting show or, or wrestling? Right. I mean, it was horrible. And I was about to leave because I couldn't stand it. Well, we're going to give you a word right now. I said, well, I hope you do because I can stick around. You know, and... So I got the award, but it was horrible. I, I couldn't believe it. Every single match was identical. And, and, and I was just shaking my head. 
and he slapped the thigh, slapped the thigh, and I'm going like, damn, I was taught just to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> I was taught by Mulligan, and he hit me. When he hit me, put a forearm to me, he put a forearm to me. There was no slapping his thigh. He just pounded my chest. Right. Which, if you're in this business, you're in a business like that, and you can't take getting hit in the fatty parts in your chest, your back, and the fatty parts of your legs and stuff, and you're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong business because that's the way I was taught. And that's the way, to the day, I show my kids that you just bang them in the chest. You know, with your form, use the fatty foot and knock the hell out of them. They can't take that, tell them to leave. You know, it's professional wrestling. It's supposed to be tough. But these organizations, but I got, uh, to tell you the truth, last month, some people that, uh, West Texas Strong Style, they call it. They wanted me to come down because they said, King of Sports is called West Texas Strong Style. And they want to wrestle the, the old funk way, the way the funk started the territory in Amarillo and how the guys worked back then, like Murdoch and Morgan and, and the Kozaks, you know, the, the Stan, the Larry Lanes and all that, how they wrestled solid. And, and so they invited me down to little town in Texas, not too far away from where I live. And I went down there and watched them. And then I sat there for two hours and I was impressed. Nobody slapped their thigh. Nobody corrupted the kid. Nobody did choreograph the whole deal. Where it looks choreographed, you run past me and I run past you. You know, do this and that. And, you know, like a three-ring circus. They wrestled. I was just sitting there and thinking, oh, my God, they're impressive. Oh, my God, there's a nice dog kid. Oh my God, he took a bad shot. Yeah, yeah. Simple things, you know. I know. Simple things that you miss. It's those, it's those simple moves. Guy, yeah, I saw a guy get beat by a small package. that went, holy moly, small package. They actually know how to do a small package. And right. I told the guy, I said, you know what? Some of the greatest wrestlers in our profession got beat by a small package. They didn't have to do all that, kill a guy and do triple triple loop in the sky <laughs> you know I, I was impressed right i mean uh you know you talk about harley race when you know harley race beat dory funk for the title he beat him with a suplex that was it yeah that was it and, and, and you know what's the greatest thing about harley when i saw him and he got me with a suplex people were panicked <laughs> people panicked because that was back then that was it you were done yeah. You were done. You know, you were done. All he gave you a suplex, you were done. And then he gave you that headbutt. But, you know, he gave me that suplex at one time, about 47 minutes in the match, gave it to him. Boom. And everybody, uh, I was done. And I kicked out of two and a half, and the crowd went crazy. Crazy. He knew when to do it at the right time. Yeah. And that's what I preach to people. Know when to do it and make it mean something. Don't just do it to do it. All you guys are doing is flying around in the air doing entertaining yourselves. If you look at yeah. the crowd, you're not entertaining them. They've seen the same thing the match before, the match before that, now they've seen it again. It's not entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, that's the thing is so many of the guys are work such a similar style, nobody stands out. Uh, you know, there's no you used to no. be able to watch a show and, and every match and every every wrestler had a different style. And every match, you know, this is going to be this kind of match. This is going to be that kind of match. 
And now a lot of the guys are, are seem to be copying each other. They're all kind of doing the same, the same things, like you said. Yeah, you know, it's funny, back in the day, we had different people, different bodies, different, right. you know, you had the Andre the Giants, and you had the A-Stack Cowboys, you had the Black Jack Mulligans, and you had the Holy Race, the Funks, you know, the Briscoes. You had different characters, but you also had different sizes. Today, they all want to be cookie-cutter guys, you know, oil up the body and everything like that. To try to look so, back in the day, there were so many different guys in the business with different appearances and made the business different. Now it's none of that really. Yeah. And and like you said, when you when you know when to do something, it means something. Like like uh you kicked out of that Harley race suplex and that was a very big deal. But now you'll oh, yeah. you know you see these guys and they they kick out of every finisher. There's about 800 false finishes in the match and and nothing means anything anymore. Now when a guy gets hit with a finisher, the whole audience knows that he's not going to get pinned. Everybody knows. sounds so simple right it just it sounds so simple it's a it's just a different style the greatest lesson i got when i started and they were moving me to florida was terry told me remember this wrestling simple it's idiots like us to make it hard (laughs) yeah that's great remember that to this day i tell people that all the time it's simple all you gotta do is listen yeah, and he was somebody that grew up in the business, so he would know. Yep. Oh. Well, that's great, and and honestly, I mean, I I think it's these. It, sometimes all it takes is is simplifying things a little bit. It doesn't have to be that complicated, you know. And but again, when you have people like Terry Funk, I mean, the, again, maybe the greatest of all time. They, they make it look easy, even when maybe it's not easy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they do, and and you know that helped me so much. But you know what? What else too? I learned a long, long time ago. And I, I'm just going to bring this up because I've always respected and loved the man. Uh, when I was a young rookie and I was wrestling Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida, Bill After's dad was a timekeeper there. Oh, timekeeper, wow. bell ringer, and everything like that. And I was green as heck. And did you know that Bill After's dad would pull me over and talk to me and tell me to me, you're, oh, you're, you're not doing, you can't die out there. You got to get up and fight a little bit more and get the people with you. Get the people with you. You know, I, I, I actually appreciate it. He was a non-wrestler just there because then he had a big time loving it. And he had these things that actually helped me. Hmm. 
you know, because he was watching wrestling as a as not just as a fan, but like it was personally his. You know, and he liked liked it so much, and he took it personal. I didn't know that. Wow, I'll have to mention that yeah, to Bill when yeah. I talk to him. Well, Bill and me, we go back to his dad. His dad brought Bill down when he they introduced me on uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, introduced Manny Fernandez, Bill wrote the article, and I actually met Bill because of his dad. Me and his dad had a great relationship. I hmm. used to love to go to West Palm on Monday, and I'd sit down and talk to him and tell him, you know, things you're getting a little bit better, keep it going, get a little more spirited. Stuff. I mean, I really enjoyed it, uh, Mr. After. Wow, I, I never knew that. I didn't even know that his dad was involved in any way. I never knew that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Eddie Graham loved him. Eddie Graham loved him. Wow. He's a great guy. Uh, he, he always, me and him always talked. He always gave me information. Tell me I was a little better. And, and, you know, coming from a person like that, from not being a wrestler, I respected that. I respected that opinion. Right, because he was around it a lot, even though he wasn't a wrestler. He was around it enough to and close enough to it to to know. Yeah, he's been there for many years, <laughs> many years. Mm. He's seen a lot of green guys. Yeah, I bet. He's seen a lot of green guys. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to mention that. I I'm trying to get Bill to agree to come on the show soon. So when I get him, when he's not too busy for me, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mention this, but he's a busy man. He's a bu he's even busier yeah. than me. Oh yeah, he's running around here with his uh, his championship belt that we're going to do at the Hall of International Hall of Fame. Him and JJ Dillon defender belt. <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot. I forgot to even mention that. You know, because I, I I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know I have been. But I remember, you know, I was there uh, last August when they did the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame the in Albany up there the first weekend, the first banquet, and like you, and you were there. And I, I met you that weekend. I don't expect you to remember, but we did. I know you met a lot of people that weekend, but we met. And um, uh, what was I going to say? And, and JJ and Bill Apter, for people that are listening that may not know, they got awarded the, the, the tag team championship belts. So, right? Yeah. So we're we're hoping we're hoping they get to defend them. They're having the next weekend in in August. Are you planning to go to that? Yeah, uh, according to uh, um, Seth. Right. According to Seth Turner, I almost forgot his name. Seth Turner. Yeah, they're expecting me to be there. Oh, good. Yeah, they're doing a a great job with that so far. I think I, I'm glad to be they, a part of that. Yeah, they really are. They really are. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really great thing for all the pro wrestlers who deserve as they have something like the Hall of Fame. We actually have a plaque up there of the person they're honoring. I think that's really a fantastic thing they're doing. Yeah, it's something that, that need, needed to be done, you know, because they used to have the Hall of Fame in New York and then they moved down to Texas and then it, it kind of fell apart a little bit. And it's good to see that somebody's putting something new together to to honor uh the business like that people that know what they're doing you know yep yeah I sure do. I agree with that 100 well that's good then hopefully hopefully we'll we'll run into each other then again if we're if we're both there in august i hope so that would be good yes it would 
Well, Manny, I, I thank you again. I thank you for everything, for, for being a part of this, for bringing uh, Terry his award, just for everything. This you're, you're a class act, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on here. And hopefully we'll see each other again, and we'll talk again, and maybe go out and get Bill drunk and take his belt and- <laughs> oh man yeah that's something to strive for i think i think that's going to be my goal yep yeah me and you me and you new, new tag champs what do you think all right yeah all right buddy all right you have a great one you, you too take care. you too my friend bye. bye there you have it folks the raging bull manny fernandez i hope you enjoyed that always a pleasure to have somebody here who was actually a part of the amazing territorial era of old school wrestling. That was a lot of fun. I want to thank Manny, not just for the interview, but as I mentioned also for getting Terry Funk, his Lifetime Achievement Award plaque from PWI. That was a very special moment, and he helped to make that happen. So I'm glad you enjoyed listening to that, and I I hope you did anyway. And I want to mention who we've got coming up next week, because this is one I did a while back, and I've I've sort of been holding off. I wanted to make sure the book was out when I I released it, uh, because he is the co-director of the classic 1970s slash 1980s wrestling movie, I Like to Hurt People. I'm talking about Brian Greenberg, also an acclaimed director of uh, film, television, music videos, And he is going to be next week's guest. He has a lot of just great stories about working around and with the Sheik and, you know, being involved in big time wrestling in the late 70s in Detroit. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Also coming up on future episodes, I have uh, continuing my Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, kind of uh, track record from having Righteous Reg uh, a couple of weeks ago. I now will have the editor-in-chief of PWI, Kevin McElvaney, coming up in the weeks to come, and also another legend of Texas wrestling and of Jim Crockett Promotions, the one and only Perfect Ten, that's right, Baby Doll, is coming to Shut Up and Wrestle. So keep listening, keep checking it out. You know, as you guys all know, there are many ways to find the podcast. There's our website, suawpod.com. You can also find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, and really wherever you find your podcasts, you will find Shut Up and Wrestle. Um, and of course, as I've mentioned the past couple of weeks, Shut Up and Wrestle now has a Facebook group that you can be a part of if you want to talk about the show, talk about the guests, talk about old school wrestling, whatever you want to do, join the club and look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon on Facebook. As for the book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, I do have signed copies, as I mentioned. You can get those copies from me if you want to reach out to me at my email address, Solomon at yahoo.com. You can also find me, as you guys know well, uh, you can find me on social media, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find my author page on Facebook. If you look up uh, Brian Solomon Writer on Facebook, you will find that page. That's the page that used to be known as Pro Wrestling FAQ. And if you go to any of those social media platforms, you will also find links to my author webpage. So as always... 
This has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that life is what happens while you're making plans. So long, wrestling fans. 